Night of the Comet. Night of the Comet. Night of the Comet. Fine. We'll do Night of the Comet. Thank you. We could survive that. We could survive that. We could survive it. Hello and welcome to We Could Survive That, your survival guide to the movies. I'm Jack and today I'm joined by an astrologer. You're joined? Joined. I'm very drunk. <laughs> it's Chris. Good morning, everybody, or good day, or good evening, good night to wherever you are in the world, the universe. I was going to say the galaxy, but the universe is bigger. I don't think this podcast has that sort of range. No, it doesn't, does it? No. Hello down the street. <laughs> yes. Hello. Uh, today, we are going to be having a look at a classic horror film slash comedy from 1984, Night of the Comet, directed by Tom Edgerhard, I think. Don't laugh. Edgerhard? <laughs> yeah. Edgerhardy. That makes more sense. <laughs> Starring Catherine Mary Stewart and Kelly Morano. Ma- Morano. I'm very drunk, did I say? <laughs> The film is set on Saturday, December 14th, 1984, presumably. Christmas times, Chris. December. Yes. They had Christmas back in the 80s. Did they? I I didn't know that. (laughs) It starts the night of a spectacular arrival of a comet that's going to produce many light shows and is a a big thing. It's been well publicised. Everyone knows and they're making a big deal out of it because how often does a comet come by so close to Earth and not? kill everyone i saw one last night did you because you're an astrologer yes yes <laughs> what's your star sign uh leo oh that's the one that's full of bullshit isn't it <laughs> ah wow okay <laughs> i went there yeah so our main character is reg and she works at a cinema she's not very good at her job because she spends most of her time playing the arcade games getting all the high scores she's kind of frustrated when she finds that her perfect clean sweep of all the top 10 high scores has been besmirched by a fiend called dmk and she spends her time trying to knock him off the number six spot that's a very specific place because she's got because she's on a really good run she's got a not overdo it otherwise she doesn't take out six she's got to hit enough points to go over it and then purposely lose the game yeah otherwise she she just knocks him down to seventh or she does it so well she knocks him all the way down to 11th Mm, no because she'd have to do that like multiple times yeah yeah (laughs) so it's very she's got to be got to be skilled what is that game that she's playing i have no idea space invaders it's not space invaders i don't know some sort of 80s game it looks weird yeah would you want to play it yes i would would you be any good at it most definitely i excel in everything in the 80s (laughs) big hair yeah bouffanted hair i'm a big fan of 80s hair is it because it matches your hair? Yes. <laughs> Very specifically, yeah. Reg's boss is trying to flog these meteor bobble head uh, hairband things for 940 or 950. 950 yeah. for a hairband that's got two uh, bobbles on it. But they have tinsel on them. They bounce. It's pretty good. I mean, that guy that he's trying to flog it to does actually get one in the end. I know. He's very persuasive. Also because he goes, hey, I've got two other ones. They're a bit shit. <laughs> so give me 10 bucks. And I'll give you one with tinsel on. It works. Would, would, did you, would you buy one of them? A commemorative meteor headband? I would wear all three of them. All of them? Yes. Like in a row of ascending quality? No, no, no. no. You have one on the head, then you have two on the arms. I don't think they'd fit your arms. Okay, shoulders. Knees uh, and toes, do, well, knees shoulder and toes. pads in the 80s. You might be able to... Thank you. <laughs> hook, it, ...hook it onto them or something. Yeah, maybe. I question your fashion sense, Chris. But Reg, she finishes off work and she goes to meet her quote-unquote boyfriend, Larry. I think it's more friends of benefits type thing going on there. Yeah. Larry's staying behind in the steel-constructed projection booth because he's doing some shady dealings. He's renting out a copy of It Came From Outer Space in 3D, mind you. Three dimensions, Chris. Was it 3D? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realise. It's a, it's a big selling point. He's renting that out illegally to a guy that he knows and he's passing that on to him. And then he's waiting there in the projection booth with Reg uh, for the following morning so he can get it back and put it back on the projection reel as if nothing ever happened. And he's going to make 110 bucks off of this shady dealings. But it's all good. 
Yeah, he and Reg spend the night there. And then the next morning, after the comet has gone over, those two have missed the light show. And because um, it's, it's a big deal. Most people are out celebrating. You know, it's Friday night. It's the, the weekend is here. And people are going to get wild and drunk. I can't do that because I have work the next day. Oh, did you have work back in 84? Yes, I did. <laughs> I had a lot of work, actually, back in 84. Yes. Drugs? Dr- drugs and um, the trousers where they flared at the bottom. Oh, you sell flares? Yes. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so they wake up the next morning. Larry, is a, he's a bit uh, on edge because his film reel hasn't been brought back and he's worried that he's going to be found out. So he decides to go out on his bike and try and track down the guy that he gave this film to and leaves Reg in the projection booth just to get changed and clear up. Because they've got a mattress there and, you know, you're probably not allowed to sleep at work. I, I beg to differ. <laughs> is that what you do at work? You just sleep? I've slept a few times at work. Yeah. yeah. I'm not surprised. You're not very good at your job. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Larry goes out to the alleyway. He hears something behind the door that he's about to open, and he thinks it's the guy that he's just running a bit late. He opens the door to a zombie uh, who clocks him on the head with a wrench and drags him into the alleyway. Now, Chris, you're the zombie expert. Yeah, they're not really zombies. That's what I was going to ask. How would you categorize them? Because uh, okay, just quickly not... describe the zombies in Night of the Comet. Imagine normal people. They seem to uh, this their skin takes on a, a weird sort of tone, and then it's mostly their eyes. The skin sinks in and goes dark around their eyes. Other than that, they don't look much different. They, they can, can still, still talk. Talk. They can still use weapons. They still have most common sense. I mean, apart from that one at the start that hits the guy with the wrench, all the others don't actually eat people. Whereas the wrench hitting one, I think he starts to nibble on him a bit. But yeah, they're not really zombies, are they? They're just people who have got radiation poisoning. <laughs> Pretty bad radiation poisoning. And a sort of are losing it a bit. Yeah, so... I think They're more they... cannibals than anything else. Yeah, the film does describe them as zombie cannibals. And zombies is used in the uh, in, Yeah, they in do the say film, zombies. Most modern day zombie properties tend to avoid. Just call a spade a spade. Call a zombie a zombie. Yeah, no, they, they don't seem to want to uh, call themselves that. What would you describe them as? How do they rank in terms of danger compared to like a romero zombie or a 28 days later rage more zombie. more dangerous actually because they've got the intelligence and they can use items but yeah. then there's not loads of them whereas the zombies you the big thing about zombies is loads of them isn't there but within this most people are dead so it's only like you should get small groups of them and that's it because the comet, it passed so close to Earth that the radiation or the heat vaporised anyone that was outside. And all that's left is their clothes and a pile of what is essentially red ash. It's brick dust that they, they use that effect with. <laughs> but very few people are left alive. If you were left indoors, so long as you were in a steel-constructed um, building or, or shack or whatever then you were safe from the radiation and you weren't contaminated or killed. But if you're in any other type of building... You're then, dead. Well, you're not dead. I think that's what turns you into the zombies if you're not lethally exposed. Right. I thought it was to do with the amount of leftover radiation in the air. Some people were just naturally immune to it. You can't be immune to radiation, Chris. Do you know how radiation works? This is space radiation. <laughs> um, I do believe it can fare differently to other radiation. No, they're not instantly killed by the radiation. They're fried, basically. Their brain is muddled up by it, and they they go a bit loopy. So if they're not exposed to it in a lethal manner, and they're just like in a brick building, then the radiation's getting through and scrambling their brains and turning them into cannibal people. And maybe the eating people thing is necessary for them to survive because of the like radiation affects their blood and stuff and we get onto a set of characters that uh, they're scientists from a place called the think tank which are using non-radiated people to drain their blood and then they're probably going to put that into them to sort of keep them going because their blood is probably irradiated and not doing them any good so that's the only real reason i can explain for why they were would be eating people and this zombie with the wrench is probably doing that but in a very crude way to poor old larry so if you're Larry, what do you do, Chris? You open the door, a weird gaunt-faced corpse-looking man is holding a wrench. Not a copy of It Came From Out of Space. What do you do? 
Dropkick would be my opening move, followed by a swift stomp to the head. But let's face it, you're not going to react like that. You're going to open the no, door. No, because not very many people can perform a dropkick at such close range, Chris. You are not one of those people. <laughs> and I'd, I'd hesitate to say that Larry would be able to perform a dropkick. Okay. He does have a set of keys, though. And he's wearing a cool-looking motorbike jacket. That has very little to do with but survival if techniques. Uh, if it's an actual motorbike jacket, though, that person's going to have a difficult time biting through it. But his fleshy neck is exposed. Agreed. And so Larry's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and these zombies have a have a cunning to them, so they're not... Yeah, it's difficult, this one, because at this point, nobody's aware of what's happened. You're not aware that these creatures are about... It's early in the morning, so he's not expecting anybody to be uh, out killing people. No, as as most people would not be expecting. No. So when he opens it, he's got that split second to make a decision. Before he's clocked on the head. I don't know. Your best bit is to try and flinch so it misses your head and maybe hits your shoulder initially and then breaks your collarbone, you fall backwards. But then you've got a bit more time to get up and, you know... Yeah, but if you're on the floor with off. a broken collarbone, that zombie's jumping on you. You use your feet then. When it jumps on you, feet up, you kick him off, you jump back up, you run back in and be like, Reg, get up! And then she gets up, next thing you know, you've both got weapons and you're beating a zombie into a bloodied pulp. Well, Reg is pretty able to defend herself without a weapon because she kicks the shit out of this <laughs> zombie when it comes to her uh, fight with him. Well, she and her sister both seem to have martial arts and weapons training, which I quickly explain why by saying yeah dad was in the military and he wanted sons yeah gone <laughs> and that's, that's that yeah that, so that explains that yeah so i'll buy that if he can survive the initial encounter and get back to reg or she get reg's uh, attention somehow yeah, and get reg. she would have um kung fu'd him all over the place then he would have got the motorbike which luckily she knows how to ride as well somehow yeah and he just sits on her back and off they go into the sunset it's more sunrise. plausible than being able to drop kick a zombie if you say so but <laughs> I do say so, yeah. It's getting in the way of that initial wrench shot to the head that is the key to surviving this part. Um, If Larry could get an arm up or something, that would have definitely saved him. But again, I'm not sure how good at fighting Larry is. He doesn't seem to react very quickly at all, does he? I think it's because he's just got up as well. Yeah, I think he's not a morning person. I think he's got the same mindset as you in the morning. Wears a sweet-ass bike, sleeps at work all night. I don't want to get the fuck up. That's what I was going for. (laughs) Uh, Yes. All right. So Larry's dragged into the alleyway and eaten. That serves him right for not being a morning person. That's a bit cruel. (laughs) Fuck him. You should get up in the morning. It's the most productive time of the day. And Reg gets up, has a look around for Larry. Uh, She goes outside. She places a bin up against the door to the cinema, but it slides shut and she's locked out and she has to go around the alleyway to try and get back in. She sees that Larry's bike is still there and she's a bit suspicious. She goes up to it, hits some munching, and the zombie that knocked uh, Larry out and is eating him gets up with a chunk of Larry. Maybe a, a juicy thigh or something like that. Yeah, there was no skin on it, was there? I don't know what it was, but um, it looked... Tender. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Larry is a tender, a tender cut of meat. Um, yeah, he gets up. Uh, Reg spots him and goes, "Hey, man, I, I'll kick the shit out of you if you don't back off." Zombie doesn't really care because he wants some more munchies. Uh, and yeah, Reg follows through on her threat and beats the shit out of this zombie. There's a bit I didn't like about this. It was a bit stupid. Before she attacks it, she throws the keys away onto the floor. Why not just put them in your pocket? Because then after she beats the initial beating, she's trying to then pick them up again to get on the bike where he's then grabbing her. Okay. Why maybe... throw the keys away? Just put them in your pocket. Well, maybe she doesn't want the hassle of having one of our hands in her pockets and then this zombie suddenly lunges at her. So just to drop them means that it's quicker rather than fiddling about with pockets and she's got both of her hands ready. I mean, she could have used them as a weapon. but That's then what she... I was thinking. But then she might have damaged them and then she wouldn't be able to use the bike. You put them in your pocket. It's not my fault. No, but if it's in her the pocket and he, suddenly, is too and he tight. suddenly springs on her, then she's down a hand, isn't she? You I can do see believe why. that she can drop kick. She can't. She can. I think she can. <laughs> she can't. It's not. She wasn't trained in wrestling. She was trained in self-defense, Chris. Drop kicking is not an essential part of self-defense. Or maybe they should include it. It would have saved two lives. No, at this because point. then you'd miss, and then you're on the floor with a fractured hip. I always see the downside. Yes. <laughs> it's very hard to dropkick someone. It looks so easy in the films, though. It's because it's done by professionals. 
how do we feel about Reg's uh, self-defense skills? I think she's done a really good job and, and not many people would be able to fight off a no. zombie. Yeah, you can't really fault her. No, she did pretty much everything right. I mean, turning the back on the zombie that one time probably wasn't the wisest thing. She gets a bit lucky that the zombie doesn't sink its teeth into her neck. But again, these are more... These aren't particularly feral zombies. They're not all biting, clawing, scratching. They're more thinking, I'll hit you with a wrench or try and shoot you zombies. Or torment you in a basement of a shopping mall kind of zombies. Yeah. I don't know. They're, they're particularly weird. But yeah, Reg gets away. She takes Larry's bike back to her house where she meets up with her sister, Samantha, who the previous night had had a bit of an altercation with her evil oh, stepmom. That was funny. It's how the, the slaps and then Child the... Child uh, abuse. It's hilarious. No, it's, oh, come on. It's slap, slap. And then the mum punches her and it's one of those really cheesy, you know, where you can clearly see the fist missing the face. And the over-the-top sound effects on it. Oh, it's great. After that altercation, Samantha goes to... Uh, she doesn't stay at home. She goes to another place. She runs away. And that's constructed out of steel. It's a shed. Yeah. And um, she goes back home, doesn't notice that everyone's disappeared and that the streets are lined with clothes and brick dust. And Clearly not a morning person as well. I know. <laughs> but <laughs> the walk wakes her up. So that's that's not bad. Uh, she goes to prepare breakfast. Uh, she's startled when Reg comes in. But Reg tries to explain everything to her. Sam, she doesn't really buy it uh, at first, and she's kind of not believing. She turns the radio on, and there's someone at the radio station, and the two of them decide to go over to the station and see what's happening. But, of course, the DJ isn't a morning person either, and it's a pre-recorded show on tape. And this bloody radio station, it looks more like a nightclub than anything. I thought they went to it like a pole dance and strip club. That doesn't look like a healthy work environment. Maybe that's an 80s radio station. I don't know. Yeah, because I've, I've worked in radio stations and they, they're not strip clubs. <laughs> Believe me, they don't look like that. But yeah, maybe things were different in the 80s. There's also an exercise machine You don't machine need lights to write and <laughs> do no, stuff. You just need neon lights. Yeah. And a smoky atmosphere. Yeah. Give the DJs bloody lung cancer so they're coughing all the way through their sets. <laughs> great. That's why they have pre-recorded shows. Great. To edit out all the coughing. That's great production value. Uh, just on a side note, I'm not clearing the podcast budget for that smoke machine, Chris. So, Yet. Sorry. You will come to love it. <laughs> I've already got the neon lights. Ah, oh, great. Neon lights I can, I can spring the budget for, but <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> yeah, in the radio station, they do, however, find... Uh, something better than a crappy podcast or radio host. Uh, they find the would-be actor from Star Trek Voyager. Would-be actor? Well, he he's in Star Trek Voyager. He's Robert Beltran, who plays a truck driver called Hector in this film. And he's hidden away in the radio station with a gun. And he's freaked out because he's seen the zombies eat uh, a lady friend. I'm guessing a prostitute because he keeps going, hey, I picked up this girl. Yeah. Hey, I picked her up. Picked her up. Spent the night with her in the back of my truck. Yeah. I mean, I might be making assumptions, but... You could, do. She could just be a lonely drifter. Again. She's dead either way. <laughs> yeah, she gets eaten by the zombies. And Hector retreats to the radio station for safety, basically. It's a defensible building. It's much safer than just being in his truck. I'm guessing he probably heard the radio as well, and he was like, oh, survivors. Yeah, yeah. And it's a smart move to make, isn't it? You hear a voice. You don't naturally assume it's pre-recorded. Um, Hector explains what happened to him, and the two sisters begin to trust him and don't attack him, because Reg is all rearing up to smack him in the face with a, a microphone stand or something like that. So that's good. She's prepared. She's not taking anyone's word for it. No, she's, uh, well, like you said, prepared. Yeah. This is their father's military training coming in. Exactly. He taught them well. So after two dream sequences where Sammy envisions oh, being fucks. attacked yeah. by zombies in a car and then in the bathroom of the radio station. Why police zombies? Yeah. Maybe she's got a fear of being pulled over by the police. That's what I was thinking. Also, she's not seen any zombies at this point. So how does she know what they look like? Well, there's a, there's not, the dream zombies do look different. They look more deformed and more like skin peeling off. Yeah. But still. Why is she wearing a wedding dress in the first dream sequence in the car? I don't know. It's her fear of obviously being married to somebody in the law enforcement industry. <laughs> that are then sent after you. 
and pull you over for drink driving. Yep. Also, the second dream sequence was... I saw that coming from a mile away. Initially, I didn't until the time we turned up and it was another police officer one. Yeah. No, I don't like this kind of cheap dream sequency things because you could have used this extra 10 minutes for the mall scene, which is coming up in a bit, which would have, you know, it would have been a proper scare, wouldn't it? Rather than, oh, no, she's not really in any danger. They should have done another one at the end of the film. Another dream scare. Reg wakes up just as the meteor's coming and everyone's outside. No, Reg wakes up and she was dreaming about Samantha having two dreams. (laughs) (laughs) One of those dreams was about her having a wash. That's that's a mundane dream. And she had dreamed all of the zombies because she was watching it came from out of space. Yes. (laughs) And that sparked the horrific dreams. Nope, no such luck. Uh, after the two dream sequences, Hector announces that he's going to go and find his family and he leaves them, the, the two ladies there and uh, he buggers off. And, you know, these two, they, they have a bit of a, a time. They steal some guns, they practice their shooting, they go to a mall, which doesn't end particularly well. But what would you do in the zombie apocalypse in the 80s, Chris? No one's around. What's, what's the first thing you do? find out where they got those guns from because they just appear with like Uzis or something. I don't know where they get them from. There is a bit of dialogue where they say that, hey, we can get some guns from this place and I'm guessing that's where they got them from. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. I'd Pay more attention. I'd probably go on a little shopping spree as well. That was quite fun. I'd also look for like a really nice car or something. What car would be best for the zombie apocalypse? Are we talking functional or are we talking style? We're talking whatever you want. We'll go for a reinforced school bus with a ramp on it. Battering ram, sorry, not ram. ram. <laughs> ram. So I can do sweet jumps. <laughs> yeah. Be sick. That'd be or a tank. That'd be the most functional. Can one. you drive a tank? I don't know. You pull levers, and I've seen Fury. They oh, pull good. some levers yeah. and like push out and accelerate, and it went forward. Yeah, so yes, yes, I could. Because tanks haven't changed since World War One or two. two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't no. think you could drive a tank. It would be good, but practically no. I'd look for food because if uh, if the comet's radiation turned everything to dust does that mean like all the pies and stuff are just like evaporated if i go to mcdonald's will the burgers just be dust yeah i think they would be yeah then you need food don't you so you'd have to find some with tins but yeah and the tins would they're not made of steel so the food in the tins would be dust maybe so basically you're going to starve to death not necessarily. Well, they don't, they don't seem concerned about food or water, do they? Well, no, because Reg, in the cinema, she picks up uh, some red vines and she's eating them. So processed food you'd be okay with. Oh, thank God I live on processed food, so we're fine. <laughs> the corned beef saved you, <laughs> so I think you're fine. Okay, great. And because most people are dead, there's going to be loads of it left over. You can have a proper feast, Chris. That's what you'd do. You'd just gorge yourself. I would. You? I would set a, a huge dinner thing that I'd just enjoy. Yeah. You can't cook, though, so... Don't need to have processed food, do you? It's just microwave. True. Yeah, that's what you need. More radiation. (laughs) Great. Moving back to Hector, he manages to make it home and finds that everyone he ever knew and loved is dead. Of course. That's jolly. (laughs) But he should have predicted this happening. There's a very slim chance that his folks were going to be alive. Uh, He has a look around the house. He empties a pillowcase and is going to put in some pictures and things, some memorial bits and bobs just to remember them by. Uh, when he's interrupted in his packing by a small child zombie, he opens the door, sees it's a child, shuts the door. Nope. <laughs> Tells it to go away. And then the zombie kid breaks through the door and chases him around the house. And he shouts at it. You're lucky I like kids because he's got a gun. So he could have shot the zombie. I think Hector's being unintentionally cruel here. By not putting the zombie out of its misery. Yes. A single headshot. It would have killed it, right? But instead, he leaves his kid to suffer this horrible fate of severe radiation poisoning that is inevitably going to probably kill the kid anyway. Yeah, turn him to brick dust. Yeah, he's become a slow, agonizing, painful death where all he can think about is ripping the flesh off another human. <laughs> or he could have shot him in the head and just ended his misery there and then. So uh, I know he was, he was trying to be like, oh, I'm not going to hurt a kid, you know, all this lot. But he was being unintentionally cruel to this child. Yeah, you, now you put it like that, yeah. Hector, you're a prick. <laughs> exactly. And it, this is the only good zombie chase scene in the film, which I was really... Dis- I was 
disappointed with that. Well, yeah, there isn't much zombie action in this film because it was made for less than a million. So that yeah. can be understandable. The budget doesn't really cover... And you get free volunteers. No, they nobody's doing anything for free back in the 80s. But yeah, the budget doesn't really extend to massive set pieces with zombies and stuff. I no, mean... Is that why they picked the kid? Because they don't have to pay him as much as an adult. Maybe, yeah. But the the budget was so tight that the director had to say, hey, if anything goes wrong during a scene or something unexpected happens, then just go with it because we can't afford retakes and things like that and extra setups because it's just going to take too much time and money. And that does happen during the scene where the uh, Reg and Sam are shooting at the car. The gun clogs up accidentally and, and they just roll with it because, again... Oh, that wasn't in the script, was it? No, yeah, it was It was the thing that they just had to go with. So it works. It's some. It makes for some fun moments and adds a bit more comedy into the film because it's not really funny enough to be a comedy, but no. it's not scary enough to be a horror. No, I, I mean, mean... The, the mall scene is pretty... Some good imagery and some scary bits in that, but it's undercut with some... <laughs> some lighter moments but we'll get into that in a minute so hector you think you should have put the zombie out of its misery yes of course maybe that gun is for show though uh no it doesn't look like a very powerful gun does yeah. it it looks quite small and unintimidating yeah also it's a different gun to the one he's holding sam and reg up at when they're at the the radio station is what i thought i thought he had a revolver because she opens yeah. it and then he suddenly got like a handgun yeah why? I think did, maybe did he break? Gives, maybe he leaves the revolver with Reg. I think the prop broke and they couldn't repair it, so he just switched. Because <laughs> there's no explanation. Because I was thinking that when I was watching, I was like, he switched guns here. Maybe I, I don't know, but yeah, it's definitely a different gun. But my theory is that, that he just left it with Reg and found a, a gun that had no bullets in it, and he's just using it just in case. Like someone tries to steal stuff from him, he's he's got something to scare them off with. Now, back to Reg and Sam. Uh, Hector manages to make it away and in in the middle of... Before before we see him again, he somehow dresses up as Santa and steals a Cadillac of some sort, so... Yeah, I would have stuck with the truck. Yeah, it's bigger. Maybe bigger, it ran out safe. of fuel, though, or something. Or maybe he just wanted some something a bit stylisher, with a bit more speed to it. I don't know. And he's wearing dresses Santa. It looked quite like a, a humid environment there and looked quite hot. Yeah. He's probably sweltering in that thing. I know. Maybe he's not wearing anything else underneath it. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who ordered Strippergram Santa? <laughs> but no, back to, to, to Reg and Sam. They're um, having a, a whale of a time to a cover version of Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Uh, their fun immediately stops, though, when Willie, a zombie who's got a gang around him a gang of like four or five something like that i think they worked uh, at the shopping mall didn't they yeah they take over the pa system and go hey ladies we're gonna come down there and mess you up and reg has to get to a gun sam tries to get to a gun but it's been moved and she's forced to duck and cover as the zombies are shooting at her reg is also shooting back but in this gunfight more people are hit by high heels than they are by actual bullets so I know, it was all over the place wasn't it yeah I mean, if Sam had had a gun, she's got the best accuracy with those shoes, so she probably would have taken them all yeah. out with, with a gun. But it doesn't go that way. And yeah, the sort of imagery with Willie by the security cameras is pretty sinister. I like that kind of element to it. But this scene is fairly short. It's not making up a large chunk of the film. Was it scary enough? It wasn't scary enough. I didn't feel like they were in any immediate danger because they wouldn't have killed both of them off. Well, they could have done. Nah, they, they, they were the leads, still weren't about. they? Yeah, but Hex is not, wasn't one of the proper leads leads, was He's he? He's in Star Trek Voyager, Chris. Wasn't one of the other girls in Chopping Mall? Yes. A much more famous and well-known piece of cinema compared to Star Trek. I wouldn't say famous. Star Trek is more well-known than fucking <laughs> Chopping Mall. But um, yeah, the shootout ends when Willie manages to grab Samantha and holds her hostage. But Reg has also managed to grab one of Willie's henchmen, holds him at gunpoint. Willie doesn't take this failure too well. He shoots his henchman and then takes Reg as a hostage as well. There was some truly terrible acting from the henchman. Go on, Willie, she's serious. <laughs> Fucking hell, that was dreadful. Well, you know, he's a zombie radiation man, so maybe he's a bit tired and, you know, fed up of 
being irradiated. <laughs> I don't know, it's so bad. How would you feel if you were irradiated? Like the Hulk. No, I don't think you would. <laughs> I don't think you would. Um, so yeah, they go down to the basement. They tie up the two ladies, and Willie is playing Russian roulette with this gun. Willie, though, he spends too much time pissing about, and security guards and some scientists from a think tank who managed to survive the initial irradiation and have been tracking the progress of a number of survivors uh, show up and shoot Willie and his gang. Uh, and rescue Reg and Samantha. So that's how that goes. Killing Samantha and Reg doesn't help you survive when the security team show up. So No, but they would have been better prepared because they wouldn't be so focused on playing with their food, as it were. Uh, I don't know, because if they'd have shot them, then they probably would have started eating them. So, again, they would have been distracted. Yeah, and I suppose if the... Uh... The arming people that turn up with the scientists are, well, army. They're professionally trained, aren't yeah. they? So they're going to take them out. Yeah, they don't really stand a chance. I mean, they barely held their own against Reg and Samantha. And there's two of them. And when the army guys showed up, they would have been outnumbered and outgunned. So, And also, they're irradiated, so they were going to die anyway. So yeah, sucks to be them. The uh, scientist team is led by uh, Dr. White, who's kind of against going in search for survivors and taking them back to the think tank area. Now, there's little bits of uh, her and the rest of the think tank spread out throughout the film, and we're kind of given the idea that she doesn't want to save people. She just yeah. wants to stay in the think tank and um, survival of the smartest kind of thing. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that's not how it plays out. Reg is separated from Samantha, who is staying with Dr. White and another scientist to wait for Hector to come back. So Reg is transported by a helicopter to the think tank where she's asked a bunch of questions and she's given a physical and things like that just to make sure she's not bringing anything sinister into the lab <laughs> and we'll get back to that in a second but yeah white says that she's gonna give uh samantha a injection to sort of cure the radiation and samantha doesn't really question it uh she gives her the injection and samantha dies and White um, and the other doctor, they have a bit of a, a, a talk and going, yeah, she was going to die anyway. She was infected with radiation. Uh, the other doctor gets a bit suspicious because White's a bit aggressive and he goes for his gun and White goes, hey, what are you going to do? Do you think I'm going to go for my gun? And the scientist goes, no, OK. He relaxes and then White immediately shoots him. <laughs> so... <laughs> Sucks to be that guy. Hector rolls up back at the radio station and White's there. She's wearing some glasses. So she's... And the other zombies, Willie's zombies, were wearing glasses to hide the fact that their eyes had sunk in and they were looking more and more like corpses. Uh, White has a chat with Hector dressed up as Santa Claus. It's very <laughs> tricky to have a serious conversation when one of the parties involved is dressed as Santa Claus. White injects herself and leaves Hector with a notebook of her memories and notes and bits and bobs that obviously lead to the think tank uh, facility and to where Samantha's body is. So we'll come back to Hector in a bit. And let's go to Reg, who's giving all the sass she can to these think tank scientists. I mean... She's been a right pain in the ass at this point, isn't she? Yeah. Because as far as she's concerned... They've, they've saved her and they just want to check that she's okay. She's being a bit of a bitch towards them. Yeah. Have you ever had hepatitis? No, I had mono once and I thought I was pregnant. <laughs> but never mind. Yeah. These scientists are not in the, in the best mood. Uh, up to the point where they actually say that, hey, your sister's dead. This doesn't go down well with Reg, who then decides that she's going to break out of the facility. She's seen that there are also two kid survivors, about 10 year old, something like that. And she goes on a on a rampage to try and save them and, and get them out of the facility because she knows something's up. Because, yeah. you know, they killed her sister and that's a, a subtle hint. That, a subtle hint. Yes, that these guys aren't on the, on the level. So, yeah, it turns out that everyone in the facility was infected with radiations because they left the shutters open and the radiation got in and infected them all and they're all turning into zombies. And because they're scientists and they're smarter, they figured out that if they maybe switch their blood with people that haven't been irradiated, that they'll probably survive a little bit longer. So that's their plan. They're going to drain the kids of their blood and they're going to drain Reg of her blood. And they didn't want Samantha because they thought that she was irradiated. And 
she was going to turn into a zombie anyway. But Reg, she launches a, a rescue mission for the kids. Up on the surface, Hector rolls up in a different car dressed as a cowboy instead of Santa Claus. Because he's serious, Chris. <laughs> I enjoyed this bit. Did you enjoy his accent as I well? I did. I thought it was really good. It was pretty good, yeah. The kind of accent that gets you a role in Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> so. Why do you keep going on about this? What was wrong with Star Trek Voyager? Nothing. I, I quite liked Star Trek Voyager it- from what I thought. <laughs> I'd do it out of love. But yeah, he rocks up to the facility. Uh, talks to the security guard and goes, hey, maybe you want to look in my trunk and see this thing. And uh, he opens the trunk. Samantha's laying there, eyes closed, pretending to be dead. She wakes up and bashes this guy's head on the uh, trunk of the car and takes him out. Samantha then goes down into the laboratory to try and rescue uh, Reg and get her out, uh, whilst Hector is on the surface preparing uh, a booby trap for the scientists when they come up and chase them. Reg and Sam and the kids get out. Uh, Hector takes them into the car and then goads the scientists into getting into the truck and chasing him. Uh, it works because they go into the truck and when they turn on the engine, the whole truck blows up and uh, Hector seems very happy that he's murdered some people. So good on him. And then a zombie shows up and then Hector has to shoot it. But that whole bit seemed rather tacked on. <laughs> when it the zombie did. shows up so yeah what do you think of that whole end game think tank scene i like the whole switcheroo thing where it's you got the the female scientist where she you think she's trying to save people turns out she's trying to keep the survivors away because she doesn't want them to be drained of their blood yeah i like that as well i like good, that samantha survives in an early draft of the script she was going to be killed but yeah oh, she's, but... she's a likable enough character yeah i, I enjoyed her and character. brings enough comedy that yeah why Bring does back. Why not? Hector, the cowboy driver who's good at impersonating a cowboy, know how to rig up an explosive? You learn a lot of things on the road, Chris. You pick up a few things here and there. Trucking, it can be a hard life, and, and it's a kill-or-be-killed kind of job environment, Chris. Did you not know really? this about truck drivers? <laughs> this would explain why the guy's so good in Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> Fair yeah, enough. That's, that's why. <laughs> Don't fuck with a truck driver, Chris. <laughs> I'll improvise a bomb under your car. So, but yeah, I thought it was. I thought the whole scene was okay. I thought they were going to go with the fact that they were all going to get to a lab, and then a load of comet zombies were going to come in, and there's going to be like you know trying to survive in the lab with zombies coming. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah, we don't get that. again. The budget is. I know. I was. I was disappointed in everything with the zombies in this, but it was an okay ending scene. And then there's a little bit on the end which. They didn't really need. It just shows them acting as a family and Samantha finally getting a boyfriend or somebody she can spend time with who turns out to be DMK as yeah, well. Yeah, I really like that whole um, epilogue type thing because it's funny. And, and again, they're, they're taking pictures and trying to act as normal as possible, waiting for the lights and things like that. And yeah, we're holding up society. So let's act as if nothing's gone awry. They probably all starve to death because <laughs> we spoke, like we said, all the food's gone. Uh, no, but again, processed food. They can just eat red vines forever okay then they're all dead within 10 years then (laughs) they're fine for the moment and i'm sure there's more survivors and and bits and bobs that'll come looking for them i mean dmk still alive i don't know how he survived maybe he was in an arcade and maybe he was in an arcade cabinet (laughs) (laughs) really yeah they let samantha oh sammy samantha whatever they let her go with this dmk guy very willy-nilly don't they like oh yeah be back before midnight bye he's probably killed her and he's coming back for the rest of them. I mean, he doesn't seem like the type. He's a cannibal. That's how he's surviving. He's, <laughs> he's not. He's got diabetes. He's hyped up on red vines and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. That's uh, Night of the Comet. It's a fine film. Uh, not a must-watch 80s classic kind of film. No, but, it, um, the description is a campy cult classic, but it was like I was disappointed with it overall. There's other 80s movies where I think that was... Brit- Killer Clowns from Outer Space, I'm going to watch it again because I thought that was great. What a waste of your time, Chris. <laughs> That's how I enjoy to spend. That's what I like spending my time on. But this I shan't watch again. Fine. Whatever floats your boat. Uh, yeah, shall we move on, Chris, to other things that you've been watching in the return of Chris's Corner? Woohoo! Yes, I watched, uh, you know, Night of the Comet to the side. I watched four films. We did uh, Filth, The Shape of Water, Date Movie, and Ten Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> okay, Filth. This sounds like a Fifty Shades of Grey ripoff, Chris. What is wrong with you? Stop bringing your softcore <laughs> porn into this very elegant podcast. There is nothing softcore about this film, I tell you now. 
starring James McAvoy as a corrupt Scottish police officer on the streets of Edinburgh. It is fantastic. Brilliant. From start to finish, it's just a, a fest of a, just a horrible man ruining people's lives, trying to progress his own. But there's a, it's a sad story to his life, and you connect with him and feel very bad for him, especially the ending scene. And uh, I don't want to spoil it all too much, because I don't know if you're going to be watching it. I'm not, but don't spoil it. But it, it's, it is a, it's a great film, a very shining moment in Mr. McAvoy's career, I think. I watched Date Movie, which was a piece of shit. <laughs> there was two, maybe three moments where I actually laughed. Is it because there were no Scottish psychopaths trying yes, to ruin evidently. people's lives? Would a Scottish psychopath have improved it? It wouldn't have hurt it. <laughs> there was two or three moments where I, I had a chuckle and I laughed and I thought, oh, that was good. And then the rest of the movie, I was questioning Alison Halligan's career choice. Okay. <laughs> And, uh, I'm sure she's questioning her choice, career choices as well. Yeah, that was that was bad. <laughs> Ten Cloverfield Lane. That was yes, very good. Yes, this is one I'm actually interested in, in very, watching. Very, very good. John Goodman is very good. Very sinister in this film. Until it gets to the end of the film. Until one of the characters leaves the bunker and we encounter the aliens. Because the Cloverfield series are aliens. Then it goes from being this sort of dark psychological thriller if you like to this full-on sci-fi film and it loses itself because it's backstory to 10 cloverfield lane it wasn't meant to be a cloverfield uh the script it it's just it was a, a script written called the cellar and there were no aliens or anything in it it was a three-parter uh mary elizabeth weinstead john goodman and then a third guy and it was just meant to be them but then uh jj abrams Bad Robot, I think it's Bad Robot, his production company, brought the script to it and then they added on the elements that turn it into a Cloverfield film. So yeah. that's that's what happened with, with that. Uh, I'm not sure if they did the same with Cloverfield Paradox, whether it was an unrelated film that they brought the script for and then I think it was. added a Cloverfield monster in. But yeah, I, I have heard that it is a, a strong film and I am interested in, in watching that. So yeah. Yeah, what was the last film we watched, Chris? The Shape of Water. Ah, Oscar award-winning film. Fish. <laughs> uh, Fish romance, yes. <laughs> yes. It was, re- it was really good from start to finish. I knew there was meant to be a romance element between the fish and the lead female. I didn't realise that's what the film was going to be completely focusing on, though. Right. So what did a- you think it was going to be focused on? Well, some underground Just- research facility, you know, sci-fi type thing. But it was more... It was a more romance film but it was good nonetheless I, was I there was... more chemistry between the fish and the lady than there was between christian gray and yes <laughs> a hell of a lot more <laughs> chemistry yes there was uh you felt there was a genuine connection between these two uh this person and this creature yeah and what's um, the cinematography like in the set because guillermo del toro he's quite weird. officially weird weird yes their visual director but yeah. It's it's good. It is weird. There's there's a scene where she perhaps she has the amphibious man in her bathroom and she floods her bathroom. She puts a towel under the door and somehow manages to make the room watertight enough Completely to flood water-tight. it to the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. And there's a weird scene where she floods it to the top and then they're both in the water and she's naked and they're like swimming around and stuff. Really weird. It's quite interesting to watch though. I'm and sure. I don't know if I'd watch it again, but for a, a first watch it was it was really good. Okay, well let's move away from Chris's corner. And take a hard left turn into Jack's shack. <laughs> what is this Jack's shack thing? <laughs> it's Chris's corner, but except of watching films, I watched a couple of episodes of Jessica Jones season two, which was released on International Women's Day. And um, yeah, I've watched the first three episodes. I'm not going to ruin anything or get too in-depth into it because I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. And there's a fairly interesting character in the first episode that I don't I don't want to ruin because it made me smile. But um, yeah, Jessica Jones season one, I really enjoyed. And I think it's one of my favourite, if not maybe my favourite of the Netflix series. Because I like that kind of noir sleuthing uh, element that it has. And um, this carries on the same kind of element to it. The premise to it is kind of origin story It feels like it. they've done season one and then they're, they're taking a little step back into the origin of, of Jessica Jones. Which I don't think you need. But again, maybe you do need to make it to give her a a, a threat because Kilgrave isn't about anymore he's I think he is David Tennant is back I've heard stories that he's been on the set and stuff like that so he's probably coming back but um yeah I think we're gonna have to watch a few more 
episodes for me to really get into it. But again, I, I like Jessica Jones, the character, and the whole noir sleuthy stuff really intrigues me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Shall we get on to some news, Chris? What news do you have for me? I've got quite a lot of news, Chris. Starting off with a deleted scene from Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, do you remember Captain Phasma in The Last Jedi? Yes. Well, she's got an extended death scene that has just been released. I think it's coming out on the Blu-ray, but it is also on YouTube, and the Star Wars YouTube show also uh, released it. And um, basically, it's uh, she gets up onto this platform with a bunch of other stormtroopers and surrounds Finn, and we all think it's curtains for Finn, but Finn shouts that, hey, you know why Starkiller Base got blown up? It's because Phasma took down the shield so all the X-Wings could get in. And because Phasma, she'd get court-martialed if anyone ever found out that she did that. So right. um, she shoots the other stormtroopers around her, taking out her backup um, because they know and they're all looking a bit shifty going, oh, maybe we should tell someone about <laughs> this. <laughs> someone should know. Someone get an execution trooper. <laughs> I think Phasma needs, I think she betrayed us. So she shoots the, the stormtroopers quickly and Finn goes for a, a hit with his riot baton, but Phasma blocks it, knocks him down, and then Finn picks up a big gun and shoots her off the, the edge. So that's the extended death scene of Phasma. What do you think of that? Do you think that would have added more? Do you think it would have slowed down the pace of the film or it would change nothing unless of course this extended death scene ended with a little thing showing that she did survive no she definitely dies uh you do not think it adds more to phasma's character because she's been in books and things and her main motivation for joining the first order and all that sort of stuff is that she can survive essentially that's what her motives is and she's a survivor and the stormtroopers knowing this fact that she took down the shields puts her survival at jeopardy so what do you do you think you don't me care, personally do you, really? adds, for me personally <laughs> it adds nothing to it because she dies either way so just as a little bit of information at the end of her life saying oh look she's willing to do this but she's dead now so it doesn't matter it doesn't add anything so you're not going to read the phasma book or no. comic or anything okay great <laughs> <laughs> fine next bit of news star wars related again john favreau director of the first iron man film and a bunch of other things yeah uh, cowboys and aliens uh-huh. a classic film I'm a not classic love story <laughs> no it's not um has been commissioned to write the first live action star wars tv show oh they're doing a tv show now well they've commissioned it whether it'll go ahead or not is is a different matter I think okay. Favreau's a good choice for that. He's he's in with Disney, and he's a very skilled writer. He's got a, a, a good sense of story and stuff like that. So um, I'm I'm excited. Whether they pick up his series or not is is up to them. But do we um, know anything of it when it's set? It's what being era? written by Favreau. That's, That's all we know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's, he's using a pen to write it. So I like to think a typewriter. <laughs> ah, you think he's a classy guy? Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. Maybe. Cigar and a thingy of whiskey glass. <laughs> yeah, a tumbler and whiskey. Maybe that's what he's doing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if that gets any further, I'll, I'll, I think that'll be an, an interesting combination. Yeah. Uh, speaking of interesting combinations, Carl Urban has said he's open to playing Batman. Who wouldn't be open to be playing Batman? Owen Wilson. I can't see Owen Wilson ever getting the role. It'd be funny. <laughs> it would be funny. I read something interesting about Carl Urban the other day. He's in talks to uh, create a Dread TV show or star in a Dread TV show to um, continue on from the film. Yeah, I think we, we have talked about that before. Um, it's a not Dread-specific TV show, but it's a Dread uh, universe TV show. So yeah. it's set in that big city. Mega City one. But it's not focused upon judge dread it might have other judges in it but it's not urban centric as far as i know that's disappointing carl urban as batman if if ben affleck drops out what do you think of that well i'm thinking of his whole dread character and everything he'd done then with his voice so i think he could pull off quite a good batman voice yeah i think he'd also play a good bruce wayne as well because you need it's it's a, with batman it's a thing of you can't have you can't cast someone that would just make a good batman yeah, or would just be make a good, a good bruce wayne because i don't know about you but uh ben affleck for me is not 
an ideal Bruce Wayne. I like his Batman, but I never, I've never really liked his Bruce Wayne. Well, we don't really get enough of him as just Bruce Wayne, you That's know, sort of why, then. milling about at parties and things like that. I mean, Christian Bale, we got, he's a good Bruce Wayne. He's yeah. a sort of, hey, I'm going to buy this <laughs> fucking bar now. And, oh, I'm sorry, my Lamb- I crashed my Lamborghini into you. <laughs> what the- <laughs> so... Yeah, he's he's kind of a mopey Bruce Wayne. But again, that's a whole problem with the DCEU that everyone's just mopey, sad pricks. But <laughs> I'd like to see Carl Urban do it. Yeah, Carl Urban, I think he'd get both of them done right because he's charming enough to be a, hey, ladies, I'm billionaire Bruce Wayne. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm a Judge Dredd Batman. So yeah, that, that will be interesting. It's probably not going to happen. But I, yeah, if, yeah, DC. Carl Urban, stick him at the top of your your list. Yeah, that could be good. Yeah. Last bit of news, and it's Star Wars again. Sorry for the three bits of Star (laughs) Wars news, but um, that's how this thing rolls. John Williams says that he's finished composing music for Star Wars. What, forever? Yes, well. So he's not doing episode nine? No. What? But again... I think John Williams has done enough on Star Wars and if he wants to move on to different projects and make new sounds for different franchises and films then yeah he can do that I mean his scores in Star Wars it's not like they're not going to be used if he leaves because of course they are it's John freaking Williams and that music is synonymous with Star Wars so yeah I think yeah if he wants to leave then go for it go and go and try some new things and, and do some new stuff I want Brad I don't know if it's Fiddle or Fidel, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I want him to take over composing the Star Wars music. I want the Smashing Pumpkins to take over the Star Wars music. Because that's what we need. Star Wars! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Smashing Pumpkins. (laughs) It's a weird reference, and I know your music isn't completely like that, but um, yeah. That's it, Chris. Uh, Next week, I think Annihilation might be out on Netflix, but if it isn't, I also think that Tomb Raider is coming out. But if it isn't, then we'll do something else. Deep Blue Sea. (laughs) No, (laughs) we'll do something good. Uh, How can people get in contact with us? You can email us at wecouldsurvive.gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at wecouldsurvive. And of course, you can find our podcast on iTunes, Podomatic and YouTube, where you can leave comments and you can give ratings and stuff like that. Yes, rate us. That helps us get more, more, more money. I don't know. Not money. More money. (laughs) We don't get any money for this. (laughs) True. I do, but Chris doesn't what? get paid. <laughs> I get all the money, baby. No, um, yeah, and, and tell a friend. Spread the word, the good, the gospel of the, the gospel <laughs> of the podcast. Yes, uh, yeah. Next week we'll be we'll be back for for some more action packed fun. But um, yeah, uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks okay. for listening. But until then, keep on surviving. Goodbye.